My name is Tim Fox, and I want to welcome you to this episode of the Rethinking Church podcast as we continue our conversations about my new book, Rethinking Church, Leading the Struggling Church Through Death to New Life. We're going to be walking through chapter two and rethinking the first step. Sometimes we we go into new situations or we, we step into an established church and we have in mind some things that we ought to be doing right away. But sometimes those first steps actually can cause more problems more problems than solutions. It's important that we get off on the right foot. So in this episode, we're going to be talking about rethinking the first steps. The first steps. Now, every new pastor deals with a tension. It's a a tension between leveraging the momentum that comes from being a new leader and, and trying to do as much as you can early during that first six months while you kind of have a pass, have some permission, have some credibility granted to you. And, and balancing that and, and the tension that comes from realizing that if you go too far, you push too hard, you change too much, then you're not going to survive your first year. It's the balance, the tension between those two poles to leverage the momentum of of being a new leader, but not to push so hard because you failed to listen to the people around you. It's it's a tough balance to walk. And, And I honestly have not always been very good at walking that tightrope. In 2012, we began a revitalization process of Goldsboro Wesleyan Church. We began this process with 10 weeks of prayer. You know, um, there were 10 days of prayer before the disciples were sent out in the power of the Spirit to do ministry. They waited fasting and praying for 10 days. It didn't make sense for our church to gather for 10 days in a row and fast and pray, but it it worked for us to do this 10 Sundays. So so for 10 weeks on Sunday night, we we gathered and we prayed. We prayed for three things. We prayed for vision, we prayed for unity, and we prayed for purity. Actually, would pray out loud, God purify us or purify the church of us. I, I probably should have prayed that God would provide the funding for the vision that he gave us, but I wasn't smart enough to do that. And then we got to work. Right after this, as we kind of went through this time of praying, we got to work with what we called getting the house ready for guests. And this involved two components. It involved getting our facilities ready and getting our ministries ready. We started with the low-hanging fruit, which is usually in a small church, and as a new pastor, it's the facilities, right? Most small church facilities, just been honest, has been, have been neglected, right? And not only have they been neglected, they look like a cross between a grandmother's bedroom and a little girl's bedroom. You might have mauve or pink carpet and brass chandeliers, doilies, and fake flowers all over your church. And then you probably just have white walls or, or maybe your church is, is very progressive and you have eggshell paint on the walls of your small church. Either way, it, it's kind of bleak. It feels, well, like somewhere you don't really want to hang out. And so it can be an easy, cheap win that makes everything feel more welcoming to start 
painting, painting the walls, or updating your playground, or, 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 or raising the money to do new carpet. And so those are some of the things we did. We raised the money for those facilities changes. And, and over the course of five or six months, we, we raised twenty dollars or $30,000 and replaced carpet and added some new playground equipment and painted and, and updated some areas, put some new flooring and create a little cafe area in our foyer and, and did some of those things. And it was fun. It felt like we were kind of updating our own home, you know, making renovations. But then, then we got to the work of, well, getting our ministries ready for guests. We had a worship service that was designed for the people who showed up to our worship service. And, and, and to be honest, it was kind of a whiplash thing. It was music, sit, announcement, stand, song, sit, pray. Uh, after you take prayer requests, stand, sing, sit, pray for the troops, sing, take an offering, preach, and then run out of here as fast as you could because you really weren't sure what just happened to you. And so it was not something that outsiders felt comfortable in. It was not something that people who were exploring church were open to. It's not something that a new believer was going to experience and come to know Christ and want to know more of Him. It wasn't an experience that was drawing anyone back for the second time, even if it did attract an occasional first-time guest. It just it wasn't working for us. And so we needed to make our worship gathering ready for guests. And this is where I began to overstep that tension. I stepped off of that tightrope and I pushed us a little too hard. And, and it didn't take long before people were, were telling me how much they missed the hymns and missed the choir and, and missed the special music or missed the prayer request time or the greeting time or whatever was their favorite part of what used to be. And I knew I knew we had failed when we had started having a discussion in our board meeting about taking our 50-person church and splitting it into two services, splitting it into a traditional and a more modern service. And I thought, man, it can be a beautiful and wonderful thing when a church grows to adding a service or even strategically adds another service. But when you do it because you hate what each other likes, it's a bad idea. And, and it liked to have killed me. I was ready to quit. I, honestly, I, I kind of joke and just say, well, we were committed, but the truth is we, made, we were stuck. We just bought a house. We didn't have anywhere to go. And I didn't know what to do. And it was, it was during this time that I, that I learned some things about the first steps of lasting change. Because see, a lot of times as new pastors, we think we can come in and we know what to do and we have the answers and we're going to help the church with this bright new vision and make changes as, as quick as possible and, and the church is just going to explode. But it, it rarely happens that way. To really see new life birthed in a, in a church, it, it takes perspective it takes patience. It takes perseverance. But it, it begins when, when we accept responsibility. When we accept responsibility. 
You see, it's easy for us in ministry to blame those people when things don't work. Right? Like we, we blame those people who wouldn't do what we thought they should do. We blame those people who complain about everything. We blame those people who want the old stuff. We blame those people who just won't. We say that. We say things like, well, that's great, but my people won't do that. My people won't do a food page. My people won't reach out. Our, my people won't do a kid's ministry. My people won't accept new paint. My people would never get rid of the, the fake flowers. My people won't. Let's just be honest. The truth is not that our people won't. It's that we've not led them to. We've not led them to. See, the church that you lead is in its current situation, good or bad, because of how the leaders have led over the last several years. Listen, your church right now is perfectly designed to get the results it's getting. And it is designed that way because the leaders created it or allowed it to be that way. We have created the systems that are creating behaviors uh, of inward focus or neglect or selfishness. We have, we have created and allowed things to stay the same. We have allowed complaining. We have allowed a, 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 an understanding of church that doesn't connect to a mission of making disciples or, or planting churches and just simply about showing up. And we as the leadership have created or allowed it to be that way. And we have led the church to this point. And we have to accept responsibility. Now, as a brand new leader, it's, you didn't do that. But you have to accept the responsibility to lead it into a new day, recognizing that five or six years from now, the church will be what you led it to be. It will respond the way you have led them to respond. They will do the things that you have led them to do or won't do the things that you've not led them to do. We as leaders have to accept the responsibility to lead people. The second thing we have to do is to count the cost. Everything you and I do as leaders has a price. It all comes with a cost. You pay that price with trust and credibility. Every change, every message, every action, every step, every phone call, every card you write affects the bottom line. Every one of those contributes to your credibility or robs you of credibility, usually in two ways, right? First, let's say you want to make a change. You want to to replace the, the pulpit in your church with a table or a music stand or, or nothing at all. The moment you suggest the change, the moment you suggest making this new step, it's going to cost you some credibility. They're going to wonder whether or not they trust you enough to do that. And you're going to have to pay a price to make that change. And then after it's done... If it accomplished the intended goal and it helped things, you will get more back than you spent. 
But if it didn't work, it's going to cost you even more. Think about this, this credibility, like change in your pocket. Everything you're doing all day in ministry, all week in ministry, is adding or taking away change from your pocket. For me, there are some of the ways that I'm naturally gifted and able to accumulate change. And then there are other ways that I have to be careful that I'm not losing it. There are three ways in particular that we build up credibility, build up change, build up trust in our pocket. And the first is by our character, by our character. If, if people trust our integrity and our intent, then they trust us. If they have watched us over time and we have an integrity, a trustworthiness at our core, we are who we say we are, we have a consistency, a reliability, then it earns credibility for us. And if they trust our intent, if they believe that we really want more for them than from them, when they believe that we really want the best for the church, not some kind of selfish game or need to be loved or attention or reputation, then they will trust us. But it can take time to build that trust. It's built through actions of character. The second way that we accumulate credibility, build up that change in our pockets is in our relationships. In our relationships. As we build and maintain healthy relationships with other leaders, with volunteers, with attendees, with guests, as people watch us manage those relationships, we gain trust. When we say, I'm sorry, we gain trust. When we, we offer forgiveness, we gain trust. When we work together with other people, we gain trust. When we value people, we gain trust. And, and, and that change in our pocket grows. And when we're ready to make a change, we're ready to do something risky, we're ready to take a chance, we have that credibility to pull from. We have that trust to pull from, and they're willing to follow us into that. The third is competency. Competency. Listen, people can love you, they can believe in your integrity and your intent, but if you can't get anything done, they don't want to follow you. They don't want to work with you. So you've got to be good at what you do. That doesn't mean you have to always be perfect, and it doesn't mean that you're always good at what you do in the beginning, but it's showing that improvement. That competency growing, that, that year by year you're becoming a better communicator. Year by year you're becoming more compassionate. Year by year you're becoming a better leader. Year by year you're building greater teams. Year by year you're, you're developing in your ability to teach or counsel or grow. And so as you build character and relationships and competency, you're earning that credibility to make change. Now, for me personally, in the early years of Hydrant Church, I, I had the competency and the character to, to build up credibility. I was getting lots of things done. I was moving the church forward. People trusted that I valued them. I valued the church. The problem was that I would rush by people. And I didn't value the relationships and invest in the relationship. And, and I wasn't leading people. I was trying to lead an organization. And what happened is fast as I was earning credibility, 
It was falling out of a hole in my pocket. Any one of these three neglected can become a hole in your pocket. And so no matter how good you are at the others, you never build the real credibility you need to move the church forward. So you've got to take responsibility. You've got to count the cost. And then third is you've got to recognize that culture always wins. You can have great ideas and people can believe in your ideas and they can walk out and they will go right back to doing the thing they've always done. You can have a great vision for greeting guests, but come next Sunday, they're going to do it exactly the same way they did before. It takes time to shift a culture. Culture is made up of, of five basic components, working from outward to inward, almost like concentric circles. The most outward evidence of the culture of a church is its behaviors. These are, these are all the things you see a church doing. All the ways it takes care of its property, it welcomes guests, it does worship, the song it sings, the way that it takes uh, the offering, the way it spends money, the way it hires staff, everything that you do as a church, the way your, your building smells, the temperature, all of those things are, are the behaviors of a church. And those behaviors are informed by the vision. What we see our church is doing, right? Like the vision is what we're supposed to be doing. Every person who walks into your church, every single one has a vision of what your church is supposed to do. And without a clear vision, a unifying vision, every one of those people is pursuing their own picture and behaving in ways that match their picture. A healthy church will have a clear vision that leads to clear, distinguishable, named behaviors that reflect the culture of the church. But that vision is birthed out of a sense of calling. When a church recognizes its unique collective calling, who are we called to reach? How are we called to reach them? What programs, what ministries, what needs are we called to? How has God designed us? What is our story? What do we value? How, like, how does that all come together in a calling that then informs what we do, what we know we're supposed to do, how we picture that, and then what we actually do in behaviors? And if we keep moving inward, that calling is usually birthed from what we value. These are the three to five most important things to us. These are the, the things that we value, not the things we say we value, not the list of values in your membership class or on the wall, but the things that the church actually values. And then at the very center of that is what we believe. Primarily what we believe about God, what we believe about the church, what we believe about our community, what we believe about people far from God and people close to God. And as we identify these beliefs and how they inform our values, they feed our calling and our vision and our behaviors. And all of that shapes a culture that will trump everything else you do. So if you want to produce real change in your church, it's just not painting a picture of a different future. You've got to get down to the values and beliefs of your church, figuring out what they are currently and beginning to teach a new set of beliefs and values, beginning to live out and model a new set of beliefs and values 
identifying and discovering your collective calling, painting a shared picture of vision over and over again that leads to behaviors that reflect those things. Over time, you can shift a culture. You see, culture is like the, the soil in a garden, in a field. If you think about the, the parable of the soil, Jesus said that the same seed was spread over all different types of soil. They were near each other. They all received the same sunlight. They all received the same rain, the same wind. And they each produced a different level of harvest. It all depended on the soil. So these things, beliefs, values, calling, vision, behaviors, they're under the surface. They are the soil in which the programs are planted in your church. And really, when the soil is good, about any program will grow as long as it is built on truth. But the, the soil has to be good. It has to be healthy. It has to be right. When the soil isn't right, we fight with one another. We pursue separate vision. We pursue our, our own calling and different values. And the behaviors of the church are just inward and self-focused. So here's some, here's some questions. First, what do you lack right now? Perspective, patience, or persistence? Is any one of those withholding your ability to commit, accept responsibility, count the cost, and shape the culture? How is your credibility? If you were to do an, do an audit of the change in your pocket, how are you doing? What, is it, what are some ways that you're best at, at earning credibility and how do you need to intentionally develop to be better at earning credibility? Now I want you to take some time and maybe a few sheets of paper and, and evaluate the culture of your church. First, as it is. Write down some of the key beliefs of your church and values and calling and vision and behaviors. If maybe there's not any of those things, clearly understood as far as calling and vision. But what are the behaviors? And what do they reveal about a vision or a calling? What are the beliefs and values expressed and lived? Not the aspirational ones, but the actual ones. And then I want you to take another set of paper and I want you to take those same things. And if you were to imagine the church as, as God is calling it to be in your community. Imagine what you would want to be known for as a church two or four or five years from now. What would that church believe and value? And what would its calling and vision and behaviors be? And as you look at the differences between the two, what's one step you can take this year to move in that new direction?